Well, today I'd like to present uh, the passage where Venerable Maha Kasapa, one of the top disciples of the Buddha, the foremost in the ascetic practices, the Dutangas, who was leading the monks in the First Council as he survived the Buddha and was the most senior then, and uh, how he actually met the Buddha for the first time and what kind of meditation and practice instructions he received from the Buddha. It's quite fascinating that we actually have that information, isn't it? And that uh, is in Sangyata Nikaya, the connected discourses of the Buddha. It's in the Kasapa Sangyata, Sangyata number 16, um, number 11. And Venerable Mahakasapa is uh, talking here personally, relating his meeting the first time of the Buddha personally. In the past, friend, when I was still a householder, it occurred to me, he was actually, uh, what the commentaries add, no, he was actually from a very rich Brahman family, so in a very high caste uh, kind of um, high society, VIP background, uh, rich and high caste. Uh, Pampered, he had everything you can possibly get uh, those days. Even so, it occurred to him, household life is confined, a path of dust. Going forth is like the open air. It is not easy for one living at home to lead the perfectly complete perfectly purified holy life, which is like a polished conch shell. In ancient India, they didn't have you know, all the modern uh, colors and paints like Venus, so or a white conch shell, and a kind of most white and pure thing you can usually find. There's a simile of the difference between the ordained life and uh, lay life. Lay life described you know, as dusty, crowded and ordained life going forth into homelessness you know, like the open sky and the possibility you know, to purify one's actions, one's bodily behavior, one's actions by speech to a more refined degree. Let me shave off my hair and beard, put on saffron robes and go forth from the household life into homelessness. Sometime later, I had an outer robe made from patches of cloth. So he did it already quite ascetic, just a patchwork robe. Then, acknowledging those who were Abahans in the world, I shaved off my hair and beard, put on saffron robes, and went forth from the household life into homelessness. So very amazing, he didn't even have a real teacher. Now, there were teachers around, but it looks like you know, due to his high parami, you know, recognizing that these teachers around you know, are not Samasam Buddha, he didn't apparently have full faith in any of them. I think you just had this faith that there are arahants, that there's, there's something like a spiritual perfection, and that this faith and that what's Yeah, exactly. He hadn't met the Buddha or any arahants, but he had to just uh, an intuitive. Um, perception and intuitive uh, faith and hope 
that that must be possible and that there can be enlightened beings due to his past power me. But without actually meeting any of them, and he gave up his whole luxurious life. Interesting, his wife did the same. It's not mentioned here, but his wife also had the same aspiration. And when they started talking about that, they realized that they actually both have the same intention. And so they both went forth on the same day. And then after walking together for a while, they realized that it's actually no longer appropriate. They cannot just as a pair, as a couple, as celibate ascetics. And then they decided at some junction to go different direction and they separated. When I had thus gone forth, I was traveling along a road when I saw the Blessed One sitting by the Bahuputta shrine between Rajagaha and Nalanda. You can still travel there nowadays on pilgrimage, and you stay in Rajagaha, and then you may want to visit the famous ancient university in Nalanda, Stupa from Vanabasaiputta. The one may be traveling probably still very much the same road. And in fact, the Buddha had actually, with his psychic powers, realized that one person with that great power, me, who will be one of his greatest disciples, had just gone forth and he deliberately set himself there. It was a deliberate act of the Buddha by his psychic power, and just putting himself there that he is visible to Vanilma Kasapa, who is going to walk past. So uh, Buddha sitting there and at a shrine, that is a typical place where the ascetics uh, would stay, just out in the open at a um, shrine, a chetia. Shrine is often trees, anyhow, in ancient India. And now whenever Mahakasapana walking along the road and seeing him. Having seen him, I thought, if I should ever see the teacher, it is the blessed one himself that I would see. If I should ever see the fortunate one, it is the blessed one himself that I would see. If I should ever see the, perf <coughs> the perfectly enlightened one, it is the blessed one himself that I would see. So amazingly, he had that level of power me that just seeing the Buddha sitting there, no more doubts. He knew this is the blessed one. This is the teacher. Sattha, the Sattha Deva Manusonam. This is a Bhagava. This is a Samasa Buddha, just from seeing him. Completely convinced. So he walks up to him, and then I prostrated myself right there as a, at the Blessed One's feet. I just walk straight up to him, bows, and said to him, Venerable Sir, the Blessed One is my teacher. I am your disciple. Venerable Sir, the Blessed One is my teacher. I am his disciple. Venerable Sir, the Blessed One is my teacher. I am his disciple. Quite a touching story, no? seeing the Buddha totally convinced this is a Samasam Buddha, this is the one who is my teacher. No more doubts in his mind, going there, bowing, and just announcing that. When I had done this, the Blessed One said to me, Kasapa, 
addressing him by name or so using psychic powers because he didn't announce his name. It shows already you know, the Buddha, if he addresses you know, a newcomer he has never met already with first name, you know, that uh, he kind of acknowledges you know, there must be past life connections and this is a very special person. Kasapa, if one who does not know and see should say to a disciple so single-minded as yourself, I know, I see, his head would split. Now the idea is someone with that great power me prostrating themselves and totally surrendering themselves as a teacher to the teacher, although they are of very elevated, lofty, spiritual power and great power me. And if anyone then um, accepted that great disciple and without actually uh, having what it takes to be the teacher of that kind of person, they would kind of split their head. But knowing Kasapa, I say, I know. Seeing, I say, I see. Now this is the Vesa Rajapata. They attain to imperturbability. The Buddha has his complete, not faith, but complete knowledge that he truly is supremely enlightened and that he really knows and sees. So just like as when we Kasapana out of faith, there's no doubt that this is his teacher. So the Buddha, not out of faith, but out of psychic power and supreme knowledge of Samasambodhi, uh, can declare that he really knows and sees and that he is in a position to accept such an outstanding disciple. Because in the later, possibly the Buddha already foreseeing that with psychic powers, when the Kasapa was the most senior and respected disciple still around after the Buddha passed away. Because both when the Buddha, when the Mama Mokalana had predeceased the Buddha, before Parinibbana, the two chief disciples were already gone. Venerable Anuruddha, another very outstanding one, was more with the devas, and he was usually not involved in human and even sangha affairs, but just in a very lofty, refined, and mostly in contact with the devas. And Venerable Ananda was much younger, and although he knew all the sittas, he was only a stream enterer. So it fell to Venerable Ma Kasapa after the Buddha's Parinibbana. And this is almost like a crisis situation. The Buddha gone, the two chief disciples gone, the main attendant only a stream enter, not an Abahant. There's a great danger. And corruption already coming into the Sangha. And Venerable Ma Kasapa being the one holding it together, organizing the first council where the Vinya and the Dhamma was properly collected. So it's difficult to grade. Now, the first two chief disciples, now, they are clearly in their position, Venerable Saiputta, Venerable Mahamogalana. They are you know, a level about, above everyone else. But now, after that, it's hard to say what would be number three, probably you know, Venerable Ananda, Venerable Anuruddha, and Venerable Mahakasapa are the main candidates. And factually, and it was actually one of the Mahakasapa functionally after the Buddha. So he had accepted him now as a disciple.
And now comes the instruction. And it's fascinating. This is now the instruction such an outstanding practitioner is getting. Therefore, Kasapa, you should train yourself thus. I will arouse a keen sense of shame and conscience towards elders, the newly ordained, and those of middle status. Thus should you train yourself. The hiri otapa. The shame, sometimes translated, the fear of wrongdoing. Now I like to translate the conscience. I think that is a more common term anyone can relate to in the English language. Now that faculty internally which tells us whether we are doing something wrong or not, or whether we do something right. It's a fascinating faculty in you know, human beings have. There's this internal sense you know, which tells us very clearly, you know, that I shouldn't do that. I should rather do that. Here the Otapana kusha quality. And the Buddha now instructs Venerable Mahakasapa to have a very strong sense of uh, shame and conscience towards all the other monks, not just to him, the Buddha, because that is already obvious. He has just declared his total surrender and dedication. But those days, early in the sasana, even the junior monks would often quite regularly even be in abahans or at least stream entrance. So any newly ordained monk could learn a lot from them. And once you have that shame and conscience in interacting with those who are senior to you in the Sangha, and then you will automatically grow. So first instruction is getting three instructions. First one, Hedi Otapa, shame and conscience towards all the other monks, irrespective of seniority. Second, therefore, Kasapa, you should train yourself thus. Whenever I listen to any Dhamma connected with the wholesome, I will listen to it with eager ears, attending to it as a matter of vital concern, applying my whole mind to it. Thus should you train yourself. Quite naturally, if he has that keen sense of shame and conscience, towards all the other monks, and also opposite to the Buddha. And then he will interact in that way. And those, day, those days, usually there were stream enters, even Abahans. And when they see someone, just like the Buddha, recognizing this outstanding quality and this total trust, accepting Manama Kasapa as a disciple and then teaching him, so the other ones who are already Abahans and have seen the Dhamma and they do that to him as well and then he will get all that instruction. And if he really applies his mind wholeheartedly to the Dhamma he hears from these Abahans and senior monks, other monks, and if he really pricks up his ears, if he listens to it as a matter of vital concern, and then obviously he will quickly grow in the Dhamma. The paramis he has already and he will be able to fully unfold the spiritual faculties which are so strong, the spiritual powers, so strong in his mind, they will quickly ripen. 
there's a little bit of problem nowadays ne, um, with the availability. As recently I read, ne, there's about three million podcasts about. And just in 2020, uh, about a million new podcasts were started. Also when we started our little uh, Damagiri Buddhist podcast, a million podcasts started in that year. That's not even talking about YouTube, just podcasts. So there's endless Dhamma around, written, video, listening. And I notice it myself, and when you listen to Dhamma on YouTube, and you listen, and, but maybe then some passage comes which is not so interesting, and then you see some other monk in the feed. Uh, so temptation, you quickly go to that one. I can quickly in a switch from one Dhamma talk to the other. Or you just get up and then go, maybe you have to go to the toilet during the Dhamma talk, or you just uh, eat something, or drink something, or fiddle around. There's a little bit of inflation. It's like with money, you know, if, if the government starts you know, giving out uh, $10 million to each one of us, and we all get a suitcase with uh, $10 million in banknotes, it wouldn't really have the effect you know, that we are all multimillionaires. It would just have the effect you know, that we would have huge inflation and the money would no longer be really valuable. So I think there's some danger you know, that can happen because the Dhamma is so easily accessible all the time. And uh, it's different to listen. You sit there in the background, podcast, YouTube, those days, when when Mahakasapa imagined how he listened to the Buddha with that trust and with that surrender, and now he listens what the Buddha is saying, very different from the way we are listening nowadays. This is why it had different effects, more powerful. And the Buddha probably recognizing when Mahakasapa already is doing that, and with that surrender, with that declaration, accepting the complete stranger as his teacher, as his guru. He obviously has that quality and now the Buddha is further strengthening that. Therefore, Kasapa, you should train yourself thus. I will never relinquish mindfulness directed to the body associated with joy. Sata Sahagata Kaya Gata Sati. The mindfulness connected with the body. Interestingly, that was one condition Ajahn Man would have for all his disciples. He would want them, he was quite free, and they didn't have to do any very particular technique or meditation object, but he would always insist that they start off. Uh, or that they you know, use as a major meditation object the mindfulness connected with the body. But the interesting one, Sāta-sāgata, associated with joy. And I think that, that is one aspect which we should keep in mind. Particular as this was when Omar Kasapa, who will be keeping you know, all the ascetic practices, the foremost, which you know, most people don't really associate so much with joy, you know, but more with you know, asceticism and toughness. 
But when a Mahakasapa would use that and would at the same time develop spiritual joy, spiritual happiness, what we call Niramisa Sukha, spiritual happiness as opposed to worldly or central happiness, what we would call Nekhama Sukha, the happiness of renunciation, the happiness of letting go, in contrast to the happiness of the household life, of acquiring, getting, indulging. And it's fascinating recently looking how much happiness and joy actually occurs in the Buddha's teaching. It's quite fascinating that religion, where there's such a strong Everyone knows about first noble truth, four noble truth, starting with Dukkha. But if you look at the Buddha statue, it doesn't look like Dukkha. It looks like the Buddha has this beautiful smile and this uh, apparently beyond Dukkha. And that is our whole point of the third noble truth, going beyond Dukkha. But already while we are practicing, uh, the Buddha I found this revolutionary approach you know, of attaining happiness by means of happiness. So kena sukang atigantabang. The belief in ancient India you know, that you have to torture the body if you want the highest happiness. No pain, no gain. And the highest gain uh, must be the highest pain. And the Buddha saying no, the opposite. And even if you use the more, um, maybe not so beautiful or immediately appealing contemplations about uh, maybe even corpses, the physical elements, the constituent parts of the body, the 32 parts, the organs, liquids in the body, uh, if one develops that, to the extent that some letting go occurs, now there can also be great joy and happiness. And even a contemplation of a corpse, a contemplation of the different organs in the body and their decay and so on, ultimately can lead to samadhi and the rapture and bliss of samadhi. And of course, something like anapanasati, metta, recollecting the Buddha, the spiritual happiness, can come very quickly. And nowadays, if you just go to something like a digital Pali reader, you have the whole tipitaka and you can type in sukha, Pali word for happiness. There's hundreds and hundreds of references through the scriptures. You type in piti, rapture, plenty of references. You type in parmoja, the wholesome gladness lots of it, pamodati, and then the mind states, even something like metta, mudita, naturally associated with happiness. So if even the uh, disciple who was foremost in all the ascetic practices and got the instruction from the Buddha to practice all that and to do mindfulness connected with the body, but at the same time associated with a wholesome joy and happiness. You should never neglect that aspect in all practice. 
And I strongly recommend uh, investigate in your practice that you don't get into this the bit dark or depressed state. It is such a beautiful and a motivator and can, can give you so much you know, energy and enthusiasm you know, to avoid on this spiritual happiness. You only have to retract the worldly and central happiness as a spiritual happiness that you should develop. And it can be done even when my practice is on the ascetic side. The foremost ascetic can do it. It can be done even if one uses you know, body contemplations, which many people find quite yucky in the beginning, or quite challenging, or you know, stirring up defilement. I also like to point out you know, that sometimes people are very ascetic because they can't even enjoy sensuality, they're very coarse, and they may not mind so much being ascetic. That is not the case with the Mahakasapa, and he came from this really rich, pampered background. And if you look at his verses in the Theravagata, it's actually one of the longest and of all the monks, he has got uh, some of the longest verses. He was one of the most poetic monks. And he describes you know, in great beauty how he is practicing alone and developing jhana in the remote places, in the cliffs and in the mountains, and delighting in the Dhamma. And it shows that you know, this is someone who is very, very refined and would actually be able to enjoy even very refined sense pleasures from his disposition, but to his just ascetic as a deliberate act of uh, renunciation. So these are the three instructions which the, one of the greatest disciples of the Buddha got. And isn't it amazing how simple it is? Isn't it amazing how down to earth and how little? I mean, this fellow Mahakasapan, if anyone should be getting some complicated, obstruse Abhidhamma teaching or something, you would think that this great disciple. Very plain, very simple, very down to earth. Number one, shame and conscience to all the monks, irrespective of seniority. Number two, when you listen to them and you really listen, really take it in. Total focus. Number three, develop mindfulness connected with the body, but also associated with spiritual wholesome joy. That's it. Amazing, eh? Then, having given me this exhortation, the Blessed One rose from his seat and departed. For seven days, friend, I ate the country's alms food as a debtor. For seven days he was eating the alms food in debt, so to speak. What does that mean? In debt to the Buddha, because he was not really worthy of offerings yet. He was still a worldling. Hadn't seen the Dhamma yet. But on the eighth day, final knowledge arose, Anya. After one week, he cracked it and became an Abha and he attained Nibbana. 
as a figure of speech, you know, eating it as a debtor, because then Arahant is obviously supremely worthy of, of the wings, and then they don't have anything to do, don't have to reciprocate, you know, they generate so much good karma for anyone who gives the slightest little thing to them. But before that, as monks, we were kind of consuming it on the assumption that hopefully we will make it and indebted to the laity and to the Buddha and that hopefully one day we can pay it back by realizing the Dhamma. So it took only one week. And it shows again the great power me with these instructions, so simple. We may get a little bit more here if listen to other monks. This is going into the future, the seven days that will happen in the future, and now we continue in that situation here, just received that exhortation. And then when the Blessed One descended from the road and went to the foot of a tree, so they are walking along, and as they are walking now together, the Buddha goes to a tree and sits down again. I folded in four my outer robe of patches and said to him, Venerable Sir, let the Blessed One sit down here. This will lead to my welfare and happiness for a long time. So like we are using this sitting cloth the monks are sitting on. So when Ma Kasapa actually takes off his patchwork robe and puts it down four times folded as a sitting cloth for the Buddha, trying to make a merit that the Buddha is sitting on his robe. Showing again his full taking on, he has asked the Buddha to be his teacher. The Buddha accepted him, and now he shows that he is acting as a true disciple by looking after him. The Blessed One sat down on the appointed seat. Appointed seat, that's just this patchwork rope folded four times, and said to me, Your outer rope of patches is soft. Kasapa. What's going on here? Is the Buddha greedy for a nice robe? Now, this is how you can give hints. No? <laughs> I notice in some cultures, and you have to be careful if you say things like that, and if people understand immediately. He, he likes to have it. Is that possible? The Buddha wants a nice robe, this nice patched robe. Could the Buddha have desire for robes? Now, it's completely impossible. Now, any other hand has no desire for worldly objects. So why does the Buddha give such an unusual hint and hinting that this robe he really likes? So something special is going on. And immediately, Venerable Mahakasapana, he picks up on the hint Venerable Sir, let the Blessed One accept my outer robe of patches out of compassion. So he immediately wants to give it to the Buddha. And the Buddha asks him, because then he doesn't have a robe himself anymore. No? If he gives away his robe to the Buddha, what is he going to wear? So the Buddha asks him, then will you wear my worn out hempen rag robes? So what the Buddha was wearing at that time apparently was very low quality. 
The hemp is the cheapest those days, a very cheap material, not like silk or cotton. And additionally, they were threadbare and worn out, made from rags. He's asking Novel Mark Kasapan whether he would swap. Of course, now what does that mean? This is the symbolic. What the Buddha is trying to instill in him is that he is taking up the Dutangas. That is a hint that he wanted to encourage Venomar Kasapa from day one as a monk to take on the practice of all the Dutangas and to become the foremost monk who is setting that example to inspire others of superior practice of all the ascetic practices. And it's probably also already a hint that Venomar Kasapa will be the leading elder in the Sangha after the Buddha passes away, attains Pavi Nibbana. That is probably also already implied as the only monk the Buddha ever swapped robes with. And Venomar Kasapa is actually realizing what he's taking on there and accepts. I will, Venerable Sir. Thus, I offered the Blessed One my outer robe of patchwork and received from him his worn-out hempen rag robes. And they say that when Omar Kasapan would look after this robe, was already old and threadbare, and he would continue patching it, because it was a Buddha's robe. And they say and he did that so long that in the end there was nothing left of the original robe because there was so much patched and uh, fixed up and stitched you know, that in the end there was basically nothing left from the original one because he didn't want to give that up. It was so special in the coming from the Buddha. And he took on you know, the practice of all the Dutangas. And even when he was old and the Buddha suggested don't you like you know, to take it a little bit easier, live closer to me in a comfy monastery? Because he was older than the Buddha, physical age. And the Buddha turned 18, and Kasapa may have been in his 90s, and still only going arms round, still only living at the foot of a tree, still only being in the forest, and so on. Mark Kasapa refused, even then out of compassion with the uh, um, following generations that we have an uh, example, particularly the monks, that we have an example to emulate. And that we can see that being a really senior, highly respected monk doesn't only mean that we are Chao Kun, or that you have a big monastery and billionaire supporters or half a million followers on YouTube, but that you know, being an outstanding monk means you know, being someone who is totally committed to practice and keeping you know, the Dutangas maybe even in old age. Like Ajahn Man, probably the last real Vekwopeva until the end of his life. If when anyone speaking widely could say of anyone, he is the son of the Blessed One, born of his breast, born of his mouth, born of the Dhamma, created by the Dhamma, an heir to the Dhamma, a receiver of worn-out hempen rag robes. It is of me that one could widely say this. It was a little bit of a lion's war for Nibamar Kasapa, declaring his uh, outstanding position.
And you can see here, the uh, son of the Blessed One, born of the Dhamma, created by the Dhamma, an heir to the Dhamma, a receiver of worn out hemp and rag robes. You can see this symbolically, as it wouldn't fit into the sequence. <laughs> would be an anticlimax otherwise. This is the most uh, insignificant thing, but uh, this passing on of the back ropes meant that. So already past five, but I really wanted to share that. And uh, the one I find most fascinating, there's so many fascinating aspects, but the one I find most fascinating is the simpleness directness, down-to-earthness, applicability of these instructions. And that is someone with power me about as high as it can possibly have. So if arousing a strong sense of shame and conscience to all the monks, whatever seniority is good enough for an Amarakasapa, it should certainly be good enough for us, isn't it? If the instruction that we should listen to the Dhamma with our whole mind, with complete dedication, attending to it as a matter of vital concern, it should certainly be good for enough for us as well. We should do that. And if Venerable Mahakasapa with all these Dutangas can develop and is encouraged to develop it and associate it with wholesome spiritual joy, you know, with rapture, happiness, bliss, gladness, paramodra, sukha, piti. Uh, sure, we should make certain in our practice you know, that we never you know, want to dry there, that we make sure that we always you know, infuse the mind sufficiently with wholesome happiness. It's like for the cowherd, and bringing the cows to the river to drink. Ne? Is that the, I think so, it's the rapture of Jana. Ne? Jana ne? This is a crucial factor. We don't, it's difficult without joy. No? You need tremendous willpower and faith to keep pushing if there's no joy in the practice. But if you enjoy the practice, no, everything will just follow from that, because you will always continue practicing. Now, our two ladies who come for a second retreat, three weeks after your last one or something. And did you come back because you felt so miserable at Dhammagibi practicing here? Or did you come back? Do you come back because you felt spiritual joy? Yeah, yeah. So no one has to tell you. If you enjoy meditation, no one has to tell you you should sit every day. You obviously will sit as much as you can possibly find time and energy because it's fun. Please practice like Venomar Kasapa, listening to Dhamma as a vital concern, not just as background YouTube, clicking all the feeds. Second, developing shame and conscience towards all the monks, teachers. Third, mindfulness connected with the body, but also connected with wholesome spiritual joy. Okay, we can share notes with all beings, page 33. Now that the of sharing with us,